Welcome to Neighborly. Corviday Tarot. House number 11, Little Street. Little Street was filled with birdsong, and most of the prettier houses upon it were kept lovely, neat, and clean. Some even had freshly painted fences, trimmed bushes, and neatly arranged flowers that all added to the air of loveliness surrounding each house. But house number 11 was a parasite on the block, an eyesore. Dried and dead grass, uncut and shoddy-looking, splayed out across the driveway. The wood had holes, darker than the burnt bottom of a pan. Each window shrieked and unwashed behind the screen doors with tears in the flesh of their mesh. Light didn't shine in from those windows. Rusty wind chimes swayed over the half-broken steps but didn't make a sound. The only living creatures, other than the house owner who had only ever been seen once, were the moths softly buzzing around the flickering light. The smell enveloping the house was a curling, rancid thing like poison. Even the salamanders avoided Eleven. The neighbors wondered if someone had died at one point, even calling the police to check. It was a shock when a gorgeous man opened the door and assuaged their fears, assuring them that nothing was amiss. Inside House Eleven, the wallpapers were a dirty brown, and the floors were covered in grime and a thin layer of dust that trapped whatever happened to walk across them. Many portraits of the same person hung on the wall, all rotting through in different degrees of decay. Grass poked through the living room carpet, the old couch was covered in a white sheet, and vines climbed the staircase in walls. Such an old and rotten house. The only sound allowed to echo through its halls was the creaking of old wood and an old clock forever chiming. Can you imagine that? The sound of a clock singing on repeat. I can, of course. But that didn't stop dear little magpie from knocking on the door at 11 o'clock sharp that morning. A bright young girl of thirteen with fiery, dyed ginger hair, brown eyes, and tannish skin scattered with freckles. Her ears and lips were pierced with silver. Small, bird-shaped earrings sat upon her lobes, woven with beads of red, yellow, black, and light blue. Dangling from them were gold metal feathers, drooping below her chin and grazing her shoulders. Her father had made the earrings as a birthday gift. The colors of their tribe, he'd said. She was Cherokee and quite proud of it. In her hand was a little bag of cookies. They were a Girl Scout, though they did not always refer to themselves as such. Two buttons sat on her brown vest, nestled among the collection of others awarded from her scout leader. One button held her pronouns. 
and the other displayed stripes of orange, white, and pink with a double Venus symbol. She wasn't from this neighborhood. Her father, Mr. Crow, whose skin was a darker brown, with half of his hair dyed ginger to match his child, held a trustworthy eye for the finer things. He had encouraged them to try and sell over on this street, pointing out house number 11 in particular as untouched by living hands. Magpie didn't understand why a deserted house would make a good place to sell cookies, but she wasn't one to distrust her father. He had a knack for making decisions that brought them luck. Her father had grinned as she left, his canine sticking out more than usual and his eyes gleaming yellow. He handed her an old flip phone for emergencies, and a tarot-sized card that seemed curiously blank. My dearest girl, do the best you can and don't come home till every last box is gone. With that, he rushed her gently out the door and watched from the window as she pedaled off on her moss-green bike. Now, standing and waiting in front of an unopening door, she knocked again, louder this time. The sound drove a few birds away. Hello? Open your stupid crappy door! They weren't a very patient child, and had a bit of a mean streak. Knocking again, they sighed loudly in frustration and attempted to peer into the house through the windows, standing on top of a block of stone that was unattended on the porch. With a noise louder than the clock's constant chiming, a hand struck the glass. Nine fingers. Flesh fused with what could be slime. It's a wonder the pain didn't crack. Magpie fell back, flat onto the wood with a crash. She didn't hear the screen door opening, but she could hear the crack of bone as the stranger crouched at her side. Quiet tutting drew her eyes to a concerned face. Hanging over her was a tall, lanky, and snow-pale stranger. Magpie wasn't particularly religious. The only religious person in Magpie's family had been her other father, who had died before she was born. He had been a priest. Your father was a blue jay with a robin in his title, a quiet and praying reflection of Eurydice he was, her living father would say. She'd never questioned the strangeness of his tone as he said that, as, well, he did birth her. She took admiration for insects, dragonflies specifically. She didn't know if she could pray to a bug, but if this person was one, they'd be an angelic dragonfly. Little bird, they cooed as they placed a hand upon her head and patted it gently. Why have you peeked upon my domain? She had no idea what they meant by domain. To her, this was just a really old house. Scuttling across the porch, she grabbed her bag, holding it up and quickly pouring out an explanation word by tumbling word. I'm, uh, uh, I'm a Girl Scout, and I'm selling cookies for a, a new batch. Do you, uh, want to buy some? The stranger looked at her, head tilted at a strange angle. A moment passed before they straightened up, long and angled limbs seeming to unfold forever until they stood to their full height, hands clasped together as if they were in prayer. I don't think I've ever had such a thing before, but you've offered a gift for a price. Come in, come into my domain. A hand swiftly held open the door for her. She shrugged her shoulders and walked in. She wasn't the type to judge houses. 
Sure, this one needed to be cleaned to hell and back, but the stranger was nice, and about to buy a few boxes of cookies if she could trick them into it. The strange figure walked in behind her, and the bolt did not make a sound as it settled into the lock. Magpie was hit with a smell so horrid they almost vomited. They couldn't tell if it was mildew, or maybe something had died like some sort of animal. Little bird, step into the living room while I grab my coin. Their voice sounded... off. But she complied, willing to do anything to get away from the stench that infected the hallway. The living room didn't have anything of note in it. Magpie poked the grass with their foot and threw the bag onto the sheet-covered couch, head turning as she looked around. Her idle investigations paused when her shoe hit a floorboard, and they looked down to see it seep some sort of dark liquid. She swiped her finger in the newfound puddle and sniffed. It smelled rotten and metallic, and if her dad taught her anything... It was if it smelled like that, it was blood. She froze. Slowly, she lowered her foot to touch the board again. Now that it had started, the wood didn't stop bleeding. As soon as she stepped onto another board, the whole floor started pouring out blood. She jumped onto the couch, almost retching as the surface flooded. Thick, rusty blood flowed up to cover the wood grain of the floor, the throw rug, the legs of the couch. The sound of something moaning under the floorboard made terror well up in her and prickle at the corner of her eyes. She sobbed as she struggled to wrench the flip phone out of her pocket. The frigid, shaking little fingers stabbed desperately at the emergency contacts. It rang for a few seconds before the comforting voice of her father poured out, shrouded in static. Hey, Spider, what's going on? The phone was ripped out of their hand and thrown into the flooding red around the room. There were no lights in the room, only the sound of static flickering, getting louder and louder, competing with the moaning from the boards and the clock ringing out like a siren. Oh, little, oh bird, little bird, little bird, little bird. It, is it is so, so very, polite, very to polite to tell the host your name. Magpie whipped her head to the entrance. A clawed hand with nine fused fingers gripped at the edges of the doorway, a multitude of eyes staring at her, the pattern shining back and forth like a flashlight. The thing's heaving chest puffed out as more limbs untangled from within and reached out to pull at her. She batted them off as they dipped into her pockets, pulling out candy wrappers and receipts. Magpie had only ever seen iridescent wings in the back of her baby cousin's fairy costume, never up close, and never as red and torn like like paper-thin flames. It loomed over her, and fused fingers from another limb gripped her head, cheeks squished together. You're so impolite. What a horrid little guest. No wallet, no form of identification, no name badge. Tell me your name, little bird. Oh, please, oh, please, little bird. It is rude not to tell your host. Magpie sank her teeth into the fingers gripping her skull. It screeched as it pulled back. She had bit so hard the fingers were no longer fused. The creature reeled. Magpie grabbed for her brag and ran under the thing, splashing up blood behind her as she went. She ran down the hall. It flexed like a tongue, and even here the boards bled as she ran upon them. That thing snarled as it heard her steps. 
What a rude guest! We haven't even had tea and you're already leaving? The holes of dereliction in the house yawned just wide enough for little magpie to push through one and wriggle through the cavity, shoving at the stubborn bickrook for a way outside. It sang after them sweetly. Oh, little bird. Oh, little spider lily. Come out, come out, wherever you are. The walls were tightening around poor magpie. Sometimes when one tangles oneself in a path from a choice that seemed wise at the time, the only option to become untangled is a blind leap of faith. Or in this case, a fall of faith. Straight into another hole they had found, they quickly dropped down into it. Now, like all children, so little, so curious, Magpie gazed around at all things before her with adoration, particularly the peculiarities of the natural world, stashed away in what seemed to be a cave. But oh, little Magpie had no curiosity in this dance. This was a story of survival, and she was wise enough to know. To reject the urge to fill your cavernous ignorance, suppress your questions, and you may just live. Down in the hole it was impenetrably dark. No birdsong, no traffic, not even the chiming of the clock from above could be heard through the packed wetness of the dirt and the vines that trailed with long green grass. It was more alive down here than the grass in the yard in house number 11 above. It felt like the walls of a stomach, such a tight space. She felt nothing but dread and the poking of the card her father had given her into her side. The thing hadn't taken that, at least. Do you remember the statues from church? The way Mother Mary peered at you as you held your mother's hand. She always looked so sad. Can you remember the shape of a relative's coffin? How tight the space must have been for the body. You imagined your own body in such a space, remember that? It was a fright, wasn't it? Seeing that, thinking of that. Did Mother Mary's gaze not heal you? The church's chorus and bell chime gave you so little purpose. And the viewing of a loved one in such a space was a suffering in itself. And the Mother Mary before you was a statue, not a living gaze that might bring you comfort, nothing to hold you in that sacred space, no peace, no healing. When Father shot the wild rabbit, did you feel suffering in its gaze? Tell me, what exactly is it in eyes and spaces that moves you so? For dearest magpie, this space, this stomach of earth, was like the inside of a relative's coffin. An esophagus sarcophagus, if you will. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It was the perfect size, as if it was open for her and her alone, waiting for her to take her eternal rest. A diabolical dice of life. A chance escape supposed to mean safety now spelling doom. Have you ever read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland? Sweet Alice, falling forever through holes and doors. She had only the company of a strange cat with a wild and wide grin. Magpie was Alice, but she had no smiling cat. 
only the simple memory of her father's unusual smile when he'd sent her away that morning. The hole was not fully a grave. There was a way forwards, and she scrambled to it, her hands and knees scraped and caked in mud. This would be a nightmare to clean out. Soon she was crawling through water. Well, she couldn't see, but she hoped it was water. Remember the first time you swam? Or the first time you were baptized? Someone cradled your head as if you were fragile, wanted, as the water and its currents shaped you. Your original sin was forgetting this. Little bird, little bird. They heard its call and the sound of their own heartbeat quickened. She tried to push through faster, but the cave pressed so tight it slowed her to a snail's pace. She kept going and eventually dug far enough for the mulch to turn back to hard-pressed earth bloodying her fingernails. When at last she saw light, she lunged at it. But instead of the clear, free air she knew outside of this godforsaken house, she was hit with the pungent perfume of white roses. She had found herself in the back garden. In agonized frustration, she kicked the fence. God damn it, how the hell do I get out? She cried to herself, feeling as if she were a bird trapped in a cage. Most birds are loved and wanted, of course, but there's an envy of those who are outside, rather than inside a copper wire prison. Oh, um, you don't. There was a man sitting on a stool, painting the roses red. He was clearly old, grey hair and glasses cracked, dirty fingernails covered in the red paste that dripped down from the tip of his stubby little paintbrush. He didn't stop or look at her when he spoke. The white clothes he wore and the hat tinted with a veil of mesh almost reminded her of a beekeeper. He was trapped here just as she was. There are a few things more horrifying to the younger people than seeing adults in the same trouble they are in. The young girl started to cry, not caring if that thing hurt her anymore. She'd never see her dolls again or her cousins, or her father, who she so sorely missed. No more school friends or rides alone into the woods. This house was a rotten tooth among the neighborhood, a millipede dying in the stewpot. This garden was dripping paint and thorns. She started tearing through the flowers, throwing back the petals and ripping up the roots. She would not die in this deadly garden forest. The man paused his painting, watching with a snarl as she destroyed his freshly painted flowers. I told you to cease and my warning goes unheeded. There was no escape. Do you remember picking roses as a child? The way mother told you to be careful or you would prick your fingers? Think of that as our dear magpie squeezed their hands, clawing like a body buried alive. Oh, speaking of flowers, never drink a large amount of poppy water. You'd end up like dearest Miss Blunden. Poor dearie, shouldn't have poured herself such a glass. The man with the painted roses let out a ruddy-faced roar and pushed Magpie into the vines. She hissed. The cutting thorns were unbearable, but soon she hit the dirt again, and so did the man. 
He had left his roses, his protection. That thing leered from the doorway like a cat that finally got the mouse. It reached out and grabbed the painter first, tearing into him as a spider does or a mantis. It turned its hideous gaze on her when it was finished. Oh, poor birdie. What an injury. Poor, poor bird. Now she heeds it. Little one, oh, tell me your name so I may call your dear father to fetch you. Do tell, dearest bird. Surely the child of change knows her father's call. The flowers wilted around the painter. With the cover of flower heads no longer concealing, it was obvious that the backyard had been filled with dead bodies. Carcasses covered in bees and blue butterflies. The bugs fluttered softly, half-rotten legs and arms tangled together like roots. Trees' broken limbs lay amidst the broken shards of bone. The backyard door had rotted far more than the hole they crawled through and was pouring some sort of pus like honey from a hive, Magpie felt their stomach lurch. You and your horrid house, its walls and its boards, they howled, hands bawling into fists. I have had enough few in this maddening place. One would assume all children have played baseball or rounders at least once. The strange intimacy of smashing the bat against the ball. Magpie pretended the strange fairy was the ball as she grabbed her wooden limb and swung for it quicker than it could react. It screeched and tried to shove her off, tried to guard its head. In its startled pain, it let her go, and when she had another chance to hit it again, she stabbed the limb into its eyes like a fork trying to catch the last pea on the plate. The rage behind the action practically forced its head into the stairs and ground. It screeched in horror as its sight was stolen from it. She threw her father's blank card on it, tired of the sharpness poking into her from her pocket. Scrambling to get away from the thing, she ran for the front door. It was locked when she reached it, so she grabbed a chair and smashed the glass on one of the windows, climbing through it. No protectionist shards dug into her like fairies cuddling cherries, cookies long forgotten. Her father would understand. He was understanding. One has never been so grateful for the intimacy with the dirt, separate from the church's rocks and fields. We are all strangers to nature and old houses. Everything holds a symbol and everything is connected. Magpie gripped her bike tight as she pedaled off, tears blurring her vision. She threw the bike across the yard when she arrived home, not even bothering to lock it up. Her father came out at the sound of her wailing and brought her in his arm reminding her of a wing with the way he cradled her in through the door, politely cooing and asking what the matter was. House number 11's monster lived on, though not in the house. A few days later, when Magpie rode again, her father in tow, the building had been bulldozed down. The only thing left there were the roses, freshly blossoming from new bulbs. They didn't want that. They wanted him to believe their story. She scrambled around in the dirt, clawing through and searching for something, anything, to offer up as evidence. But all she could find was a strange card, about tarot-sized. It held the terrorized face of the disturbed, the thing's masks, which once caused explosions of fear, now locked in one of its own forever. Her father held up the card to the light and peered at it. Then a laugh bubbled up in his lips. 
and another and another great joyous laughs barking out like popcorn bursting against a pot lid they took the card home and he held it aloft grinning like a madman she helped him when he hung it up on the wall she had no idea why but it matched the other cards nicely he even found a frame for it that matched those already decorating the room it was curious but soon enough she thought no more of it he had always had an eye for nice things and it seemed someone else did too, since he congratulated her for selling the last of her cookies, saying the customer had loved them enough to call and say thank you. Which confused her, since she had left them abandoned with nary a thought once the house and the thing had begun their attack. I wonder what that could mean. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's house was written by Jared Hassan and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Swartz and art by Cloudy Appleart. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually God might finally listen to us. Today's spotlight artist is Montressor Green, made famous for their three-week-long immersive performance entitled Dear Lord, It's Coming After Me, during which they ran through town yelling those same words. Now that I think about it, I don't think anyone's seen them since. I hope they're well. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.